as many of you know, oh, by the way, I, I do want you to pray for this woman. Her name is uh, Asia Bibby. Um, some of you have heard of her. She's a 45-year-old mother of five in um, Pakistan, and um, she was arrested uh, 15 months ago and put on trial um, for blaspheming Muhammad. Um, basically, she says she believes in Jesus and Muhammad is a false prophet. Now, we can stand here today and say Muhammad is a false prophet, and we don't have to fear anybody busting through the doors. Uh, but she said that. She was arrested, put on trial, and she is sentenced to be hung. Um, that's the freedom in Pakistan. So um, pray for Asa Bibi. And um, she's appealing it, but of course, things are strange today. Things are strange today. Right? Let, in fact, let's pray for her right now. Lord, we do praise you on this Thanksgiving week. Uh, for all the blessings we have, the greatest of which is salvation. And next to that is the freedom to proclaim salvation without any fear. The only thing we fear, Lord, is people looking down their nose at us. And uh, what a joy it is uh, to be in such a country. And then we pray, Lord, for those like Asa, um, Asia, who um, do not have that freedom. She is in chains for the gospel, and her life is being threatened. Lord, our prayer would be that she would be released and that that gospel light would shed throughout Pakistan and throughout the Middle East. And uh, Lord, we lift her before your throne. Remind her that she is not alone. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, you know, many of you know that I, uh, Elizabeth and I went to California this uh, last week. And I uh, brought some pictures. Um, that's the seminary, the Master's Seminary, John MacArthur's Seminary. Um, Creighton and Carrie Ring, who were founding members of Valley Brook, uh, Creighton is studying at the Master's Seminary, and he is also the student body president, and um, he's in charge of filling the pulpit for chapel. So you go, how did you spring that deal? I go, well... <laughs> You know, John MacArthur heard about me. No, it's not. <laughs> it's totally grace. It was uh, Creighton allowing me to, to come out, and it was a wonderful week. Um, so this is, this is me getting ready beforehand. By the way, i got to share this with our PowerPoint people, okay? Um, I worked on this sermon, and I sweat bullets, and I put the PowerPoint together, and I showed up early, and we put the computer, plugged it in, and and there's a big screen that comes up, and everything was per working perfectly, and they started chapel, and we, they started singing, and then Creighton introduced me, and I went up and clicked nothing. In fact, not even, what didn't move forward, it was just black. But, you know me, I'm never rattled by anything like that, right? <laughs> so I just kept going, and, kept, and about ten minutes into it, the picture comes up. And uh, afterwards, the guy up in the booth, he said, oh, sorry about that, I had to go to the bathroom, so... <laughs> so we are a professional organization here. None of this stuff. Like, okay. So now that was the highlight, being able to speak. There's about 300 men training for the ministry there, but that was not the ultimate highlight. Nor was meeting Tom. That was not. Uh... 
he just wanted to hang around us all day. And we, can, I, can I hang with you guys? I said, if you got nothing better to do, Tom, but, you know, and I couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> Notice Catwoman back here. That was, this is Hollywood Boulevard right in front of the, uh, the Chinese theater. And that's a Tom Cruise lookalike. Cost me two bucks for that picture right there. Right. Billy Graham has his own star. That was not the highlight. Okay. Uh, you want to know what the highlight was? Oh, by the way, um, we, we saw all the, the Hollywood imprints. If that's really Roy Rogers, he is a tiny man. His feet are like that big. And Trigger must have been a little pony. So I don't know if that's really him. That was not the highlight. You know what the highlight was? You, those of you who know Creighton and Carrie, um, they have uh, two girls, Lauren and Leah, but they since have adopted little Julia, and there she is. Meeting Julia was the highlight. There she is. Um, she doesn't talk much, but she's a very busy little girl. She is very busy, and uh, she, we, we hit it off real well. And she loves puppets, Okay. So that was the highlight. Now, um, let, me, um, let me move into Thanksgiving. In fact, what I spoke about out there was how do you know God's will for your life? And there's a tremendous uh, drift today to try to find God's will in the subjective. What I mean by the subjective is feelings, visions, promptings. So uh, there's a, a huge shift in that direction. And the essence of my message was, let's get back to the objective, divinely revealed Word of God. In fact, um, MacArthur has a whole sermon on God has revealed His will for us in His Word. And let's get about the business of studying his word and living his revealed will before we spend so much time trying to find out his secret will. Now, one of his clearly revealed uh, things that we are to pursue is this, this Thanksgiving week. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances. And then look what it says. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Lord, what is your will? I don't know what your will your will is. God's will for you is that you be thankful in all circumstances. Right? If you are not a thankful person, you're out of God's will. Because God has clearly revealed that you are to be thankful in all circumstances. Now, let me point out what this doesn't say. Two things this doesn't say. It doesn't say, well, it's Thanksgiving week, so try to work up your once-a-year once feelings of thanks. No. Um, the word give thanks in the Greek is one word. It's in the present tense. That's the tense of continual action. We are called to be continually thankful, not just once a year. So it doesn't say work it up once a year. Second thing that this doesn't say is count your blessings and your blessings once you list them that's what you should be thankful for now that's not a bad thing to do but notice it says 
Give thanks, not just in your blessings, but in all circumstances. Now, the way I can list it is this. There's two main categories for circumstances you can be in. Good ones and bad ones. All right? We are commanded to be in God's will by being continually thankful to Him in good times and bad times, in good circumstances and bad circumstances. So here's what I want to do. I want to explore how can we be thankful in the good times and the bad times. All right? There's my, my two-point sermon. Uh, and by the way, at the end, what I'd like to do is just give everybody an opportunity to, to uh, thank God by sharing some praises. All right? Your praises may be good, great, wonderful things that are going on, or difficult things that are going on, but you're seeing God work in it. All right? So let's talk about um, being thankful in good circumstances. Now, somebody might say, well, why do you even need to tell us that? Aren't we naturally thankful uh, when good things happen? No. No. Our sin natures and the world we live in draws us not to be thankful when God blesses us with something good, but to take it for granted. Our sin nature nature says, gimme, and when we get, we take it for granted, or we complain that what he's given us is not 100% perfect. We did a lot of flying uh, this week, and, oh, the TSA agent got to know me very well. I was the one they pulled out of line and got the pat down, so he got to know me very well, more than I would like him to, to know, all right? So there were lines, and there was pat-downs, and now there's, they don't give you anything to eat on the plane, all right? So three-and-a-half-hour flight, nothing to eat. Look at me. I'm starving. I'm shriveling away, okay? So um, I, I heard a comedian once talk about how, how we love to complain about airplanes, and uh, he says he was on a flight once, and the... Uh, the pilot came on and said, ah, we're going to have about a 15-minute delay. There's a lot of traffic. And the whole plane started, oh, no, 15 minutes, oh, lynch him. And he goes, people, do you not realize we're about to experience the miracle of human flight? In a few minutes, we will be 35,000 feet in the air, sitting in a chair, sipping your favorite beverage. In two hours, you will get what it used to take three months to, to get to in travel. Yet we complain, right? Look at all the blessings we have. Yet if it's not 100% perfect, we complain. In fact, look at this. Romans 1, verse 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness. So God's wrath is coming upon the world. Why? Well, Paul goes on to say, reason number one, because the existence of God is so clearly revealed that you can't miss it, but man ignores that. And then number two, here's another reason the wrath of God is coming. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Thanklessness is what is bringing the wrath of God upon the earth. A characteristic of sinful, unsaved man is thanklessness. 
a characteristic of saved, sanctified man is thankfulness. You can measure your spiritual maturity and possibly even your salvation by whether you are a thankful or a thankless person. Let me show you the classic passage on thanklessness. It's in Luke 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and cried out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. By the way, leprosy, your skin was rotting off. They probably smelled of rotting flesh. They would die very soon. They were isolated from society. That's why they had to stand out at a distance and scream, unclean, unclean. We are unclean, disgusting people. They're dying of their skin rotting off. So they say, have mercy on us. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. All ten of them had been given their health back, their lives back, their families back. Yet the moment they're healed, they go from desperate to taking it for granted, to ungrateful. And I think the fact that nine of them do this and only one says thanks illustrates that this is the way normal sinners act. Sinful man may be happy for healing, for life, for clothes, for food, for big screen TVs, for family. They may be happy, but being happy is not the same thing as being thankful to God. Now, notice the only one who is thankful to God is the only one who is said to have faith. Jesus said, rise and go. Your faith has made you well, and he is the one who thanked him. In fact, you could almost say that in this passage, faith is virtually being equated with thanks. Okay, now they're not exactly the same thing, but his faith is demonstrated through thankfulness. Right? So if you are a grumbling, complaining, thankless person, are you saved? Because true faith, faith trusts in Christ as Savior, but it also trusts in God as provider. And true faith sees the hand of God providing all the time. So our day should be one long thanksgiving to God. So honestly, who are you more like, the nine or the one? Now you say, I have nothing to give thanks for. Not a whole lot to be thankful for. I've had a lot of problems. Well, these guys were relieved of earthly suffering. If you are in Christ, you are relieved 
of eternal suffering from the unrelenting wrath of God in hell forever and ever and ever. And if you are in Christ, He took that wrath and you are set free from it. And for all eternity, you will be in paradise looking upon His face. What do you mean we have nothing to be thankful for? Right? So, um, all that to say, um, in the good things, do you recognize God's hand? Do you recognize what He has given you? Are you thanking Him? Now, what about the bad times? Right? What about bad circumstances? How do you give God in the hard times? Now, last week we looked at Psalm 1. I want to revisit Psalm 1 and Two main things I want you to get out of Psalm 1. I want you to, 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 to see this. I want you to realize that even in bad times, God is giving you blessings. The, the, the lesson is this. Don't be so blinded by the bad that you are blinded to the good. That's point one. And point two is realize that even the hard times come from God's loving hand. He is the gardener who is pruning you. All right, so let's take a look at each of these from Psalm 1. Number one, don't let bad circumstances blind you to seeing God's hand. Psalm 1, um, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. And last week we, we realized that this says the blessed man separates himself. He avoids sinful influences. But not only does he avoid... He also uh, is attracted to the Word of God. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So he runs from negative sinful influence. He runs to the Word of God. And then what is the result? He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Picture of a, a fruit tree by a river, not out in the desert, but by the, the nourishment of the river, and the fruit is flourishing. That's the picture of the blessed man. Now, last line says this, whatever he does prospers. And that word prospers really kind of made me zero in and say, hmm, what does that mean? And I've warned us against the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is accept Jesus into your heart and he will make you prosperous financially. You'll be rich. Well, that's an easy message to preach, right? Accept Jesus, he'll make you healthy, wealthy, and happy. Wow! That's not what the whole of Scripture teaches, though. So what kind of prosperity is, is being spoken of here? So I did a word study. What's a word study? It's when you, you get a concordance. A concordance lists all the words in the Bible, and now you can do it with the click of a mouse. I clicked on the word prosperity and it listed every occurrence in the Bible. And I found a real interesting occurrence. Joseph. Joseph at the bottom of his life. Remember, Joseph is betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. He's a slave in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of rape and he's thrown in a dungeon. And in that situation, here's what it says. He was there in the jail, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight 
of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Joseph's a blessed man. And God is making everything he does prosper. But the prosperity gospel certainly never points to this verse. He is in jail, falsely accused for rape. Yet, he still sees God allow him to prosper. Now, here's what I want you to to think about. Do you, who are in tough circumstances, maybe you're in some kind of prison, Maybe you've been falsely accused. Maybe your family has betrayed you. Is it so dark and so bleak that you can't also see God making you prosper? Doesn't mean he's rich. Doesn't mean all his problems are gone. It means God is showing signs of being with him. Sometimes we need to go through those tough times to open our eyes to see the hand of God. Do you have the spiritual discipline that in the toughest of times you can still see God's hand? You know, I I can't help but think of of Art and Rita Sutton. When uh, Art was dying of horrible cancer at home, with hospice care. Yet in the midst of that horrible suffering, they kept a blessing book. And every day, they found some, uh, something to praise God for and how he was blessing them as Art was dying of cancer. Wow. Don't let the negative situation, circumstances you find yourself in, become so overwhelming that you ignore God's hand of blessing in the midst of that circumstance. All right, that's, that's point one. Now, point two, realize hard times come from the hand of your loving gardener. I think it's spelled right here. Thank you, Todd, for correcting that. Uh, on your sheet, it's spelled gardener, not gardener. All right. So, um, you know, what's this gardening thing? Well, if you go back to verse 3, there's the metaphor of, of a plant. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. The man who prospers under the blessing of God, you are equated to a plant. Many times in Scripture, the, the analogy of fruit in a plant is used to talk about spiritual growth. Now, notice this. It's fruit... It yields its fruit in season. There's a season for the fruit to grow. And then there's a season for the gardener to prune the plant with the sharp pruning shears. And it hurts. Right? Now let's go back and look at John 15.1. Here again, you are equated to a branch. 
Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. God is the gardener with the the pruning shears. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. In other words, you're saved by faith alone, but true faith will produce fruit. If there's no fruit, you're not really in him. Snip. But what if I am in him and there is fruit? Look what he does. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. There are times for growth, and then there's times for pruning. If you are going through the ladder, can you give thanks to God, your loving gardener, who cares enough to prune you, so you will eventually have even more spiritual fruit in your life. Right? Can you look past the pain out of the pruning to see the loving hand of the gardener in your situation right now? Right? Now, let me end up with a word of encouragement. I know that when I am going through a season of pruning, what can be the most discouraging is wondering how long the pruning is going to go on. How long will this pain keep hurting? Right? In fact, 15 times in the Psalms, the psalmist cries out, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Will you turn your face away from me forever? Will my enemies triumph over me forever? Will I be sick forever? How long? And the, the answer is, you want to know how long? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that God knows exactly what we need to produce more fruit. Right? But I want to encourage you with this. Pruning, then fruitfulness. Pruning, then fruitfulness. There is a spiritual pattern. In other words, there is typically an end. It is not perpetual pruning. It is pruning to produce more fruit. You know, Peter, if anybody was pruned, he said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. You are going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, not me. And then he says, and when you've been restored, strengthen your brothers. There's going to be a time of pruning. So Peter goes out, he denies Jesus three times. Imagine the darkness he must have been in. Right? And then Jesus appears to the apostles. Peter's one of them. But I imagine even with the thrill of the resurrection, there's still this guilt and this burden on Peter and finally Jesus appears to him in the Sea of Galilee when they're fishing and he restores Peter and Peter writes this in 1 Peter, be self-controlled and alert, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering Asia Bibi is in prison right now, right? You, you may have it tough, but there are others who also are suffering. Now look at this. Here's the promise. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after 
you have suffered a little, after a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You suffer a little while, you're pruned, but then there's a restoration where you're stronger. It's like weightlifting, right? You break down those muscles and it hurts. And then, you know, if you need some advice, let me know, right? Okay. Um, and then you are restored. You're strong. You're firm and you're steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Can you praise Him for the good circumstances? Can you praise Him even for the bad circumstances? Can you see His hand work even though you're in pain? And can you hold on to the promise that yes, there's a time of pruning, but there will be a time of fruitfulness. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a moment. Take out your, your, uh, your bulletin there at the bottom. There's some lines. We've got two columns. Column one could be praises for uh, good circumstances in your life. Yes, praise them for those. Don't take them for granted. And then on the other side, there's some space for bad circumstances. And um, this doesn't necessarily need to be shared. You, this could be private time between you and the Lord. But what can you praise Him for and give thanks for? I want to give you a few moments just to, to write some things down and then give you an opportunity to share publicly if you're so led. Teenagers. <laughs> Praise God for COD, Call of Duty. It's a PlayStation 3 game. Who would like to share something uh, to praise God and to be thankful for? No, you just pretend that I'm not even standing here, all right? Yeah, this is natural. <laughs> just pretend I'm your TSA agent. <laughs> anyway, uh, if Satan wants to attack a family, he'll go after the father. I really believe that. And I appreciate this church because you're all a men of God. 
uh, hopefully in, when you go through trials, you have to continue to stay faithful to God. But this is it's kind of dorky, but my daughter wrote this, I think, at, uh, in, when she was 12 or 13. And it's uh, running to the door, he calls, I'm home. My dad scopes me up and my siblings in his arms. This was the scene that happened every day at 5 o'clock when my dad would come home from work. It was a highlight of my day. <clears throat> Tell my dad everything that happened in school, and I was complete, complete to get my, I would compete to get my brother's attention. Being his first child, I always felt pressured to be the best. I soon found out no matter what grades or place I finished, my father was always proud. Signing me up for softball, I found my new love. I may have been the smallest girl on the team, the one that catches bugs out in the right field, but I, he never missed a game, and I loved him so much. It was my dad who would come and sit through those hot, sticky days to watch me in the outfield, not missing, uh, <clears throat> trying not to miss any game that was close to home. Then there was piano. I was never really interested in playing the wooden box, but my dad would tell me I have piano fingers. I would, <clears throat> I'm going to try to prove him right. I may, I may not have stuck with it, but for a time being, I was the best chopstick players anyone ever heard, especially my dad. <clears throat> he is my hero and my guardian since I can remember. He's my little boom I'm his little boom My father taught me what matters in life, your family, your faith, and your trust in yourself. He's a simple man that doesn't ask for much. When he does ask, for it is better, better get done. Funny and charming, he gives me a sense of humor. He always gives of himself to try to keep our family close and happy. I catch him at times when he falls in love with my mom all over again. But who couldn't love her? He works so hard, and he still tries to help out around the house. <clears throat> my dad gives me strength and courage, and I love him so much for all he's taught me and given me. So, kind of corny, but... Uh, Amen. <laughs> Who else? We won't make you talk if you talk loud. We'll talk into the microphone, I mean. Margaret. Margaret. 